0: Welcome to another episode of The Roulette Tapes. I'm Susan James. I'll be your host for this edition. Today we feature the work of American jazz pianist and multi-instrumentalist Cooper Moore. He's been a fixture in the world of free jazz and improvisation for decades. And I had a chance to sit down with Cooper Moore to discuss his history as an artist and his involvement with the roulette.
1: My name is Cooper Moore, and that's a name that I gave to myself. My birth name is Jean Ashton, and I was born in northern Virginia in a rural town in northern Virginia. And uh, Cooper Moore, I took that name because I wasn't a decent person to women as a younger man. And Cooper and Moore were my grandmother's names, Granny Cooper and Granny Moore. And I figured that... um, If I kept them with me, I couldn't be bad, you know, because you you can't be bad with your grandmother. And I started playing piano when I was about uh, eight years old. I was eight years old. And I was pretty much drafted by some of the the black leaders in town because I didn't have any musicians, young musicians who were coming up. So I ended up playing in the the schools, uh, all the black churches. I would play a programs that people wanted me to play during the week. So I played a lot of a lot of music as a child, and then I went off the Catholic University when I finished um, high school, and then after Catholic University, I went to Berkeley School of Music for about a semester, and then I moved, uh, stayed in Boston, then moved to New York, and started this life that I'm leading now. It started because uh, my mother died when I was 15 years old, and. I was crazy about math and science. I was also crazy about music. But the thing that got me through my mother's uh, passing and through my morning time was music. I would go into the back room and play piano or listen to music. You know, I also went out out into the backyard or the field and I had an eight-foot telescope and I would look at the stars. But that didn't do it the way music did it. So that, that's what gave me the sense that music was uh, a higher value for me. And when I was 12 years old, I heard um, Monk, I heard Miles, I heard Mingus, uh, I heard um, these musicians that I would later, as, as a young adult, meet. Some of the people I heard as a teenager I ended up playing with. So I, when I met these people, they pretty much looked at me you know, these are guys that look at you, and they give you a sign. They give you a sign of, okay, come on. Come on in the back. Come on in the green room. We'll talk. Or uh, hang around till after the gig, and we'll talk. And these people did that. And I realized that these were my people when I was about 12, 13 years old. You know, I heard them. And then when I was a, a late teen, I heard them and met them, you know, uh, in clubs and concerts. They were the people. They had it. They had something that that um, uh, the black people where I lived did not have. I, I understand it now. They were people who traveled the world, and the world educates you in a, a very different way. Travel educates you in a very different way, not like school. You know, you you have a sense about you, and these people had a sense about them that that was attractive. I mean, I tell people that if you ever uh, heard or saw Miles Davis on on stage, I mean, I'm a heterosexual, but when you when you saw Miles, I mean, he was full of sexuality. It was like, whoa, you know. And even we men, so that these were powerful people, and I wanted to be like them.
0: When did you first start performing live? What year was that? Well, I was on church.
1: I was eight years old. You know, I started taking piano lessons when I was about two months after I was. Uh, I had my eighth birthday. That was in um, like in October 1954. The following April, I was performing in church for the Easter program, and they paid me $8. (laughs) They paid me money, which was more money than my older brothers were making all week. This was meaningful. This was something that I could sit and play music and enjoy myself, and people would give me money. That, that was unheard of, because you don't understand that African-American black folks where I lived in the South, we were mostly laborers. My mother worked you know, worked as a maid or cleaned people's houses or cooked for them. There were no doctors and lawyers. The, the highest folk in our community were teachers and preachers. So to be a musician, I was very special, and the community made me feel special. I was special in a way I didn't understand then. But I understand now. I'm a musician. And being a musician and is um, a life of service. And that's very special. And I learned it from the time I was eight years old.
0: Later, as an adult, you really found your community. You are an integral part of the new music community here in New York City. Um, Tell me about finding those people.
1: Well, I found them early on. I pretty much found them early on uh, when I was, again, a teenager uh, and a freshman at at Catholic University. And any time that An ESP recording would come out, you know, uh, people would get on the phone, Usually men, they were all guys. Get on the phone, we'd, we'd call each other that there was a there was a new shipment in, and we'd go down. There was only one store that sold the recordings, and we'd go down and we'd buy the recordings. And we didn't, we didn't each have enough money to buy all of them, but we each had enough money to buy one or two, and then we would go from each other's houses or apartments to listen to the music that had come in. So early on I heard, you know, Giuseppe Logan. I heard Albert Eiler. I heard, you know, Bill Dixon. You know, Train, of course, we heard. But these other people, Ornette, I heard, whoa. I mean, that was a a, a real lesson. So early on, I heard these people. And then in 1966, I was a a sophomore at Catholic University, and I came to New York City that summer, and I met many of those people. I met Bill Dixon. I met um, um, met Giuseppe. Uh, I met Burton Green. Uh, I met these people who were doing it and they took me under their wings. I couldn't play even. I couldn't even play. But they say, hey, come on with us. And So we'd hang out. And they just, they would talk and they would play. You know, they'd take me to the clubs and the concerts. So I met them early on. And then later on, when I was at the Berklee School of Music, I met David S. Ware, tenor player, who was my love, you know, my heart. My soulmate, you know, I tell people, you know, I'm, again, I'm heterosexual, but, you know, I, I love David more than I've loved any woman, you know, because it was about the spirit. It was about soul, soulful feelings that he could produce and that we could create together, you know. And it's uh, much. it happens to be much more, it's been much more work with my, my women lovers. <laughs> it wasn't so much uh, work in playing with David you know, and Mark Edwards, who was part of the trio of Apogee that formed in Boston and then moved into New York. It was, uh, we all understood the language. We all understood the height that that we had to go. We all understood our place inside the music, even, inside the music community. Even though we weren't um, uh, actively involved, but we knew what our future was going to be. We knew our purpose. We knew how hard we had to work to do the stuff that we had to do because we had people like Sonny Rollins and Mingus and Train, and We had these people in front of us who had done the work, and they had done the work without grants from foundations. They had done the work from um, the money that they received from the door from black folks mostly in black communities and black uh, uh, um, establishments so that was, that's a strength that we had. We knew that um, this music, because you know, if you ever watch uh, uh, Amateur Night at the Apollo, black folks don't put up with, you know, if it's not happening, they'll boo you off the stage. So, so we were able to stay around, but now we, there are very few black folks in the audience when we play now, you know, very few. But it, But it's, we still, for me, when I play, I think that I'm in uh, the Baptist church that I grew up in. That's where I am. I'm not thinking about uh, selling a record or uh, being in a downbeat pole. I'm thinking about uh, my job here is to service this congregation who've come out to participate in, uh, in, in uh, elevating selves. <laughs> ¶¶
0: Tell me about the instruments that you use, starting with piano and branching out into the other instruments that you've added.
1: Yeah. So, piano was the first instrument. Um, the flute, you know, uh, I became a flute player when I was 15 years old. I bought my sister's flute for $5. And then, when I graduated from high school, um, a friend and mentor and patron gave me a flute for a gift, and I became a flute major my freshman year at college. Later on, I became a piano major. After I left Boston and came to New York, you know, I lived on 501 Canal Street with David S. Ware and, and Alan Brothman and uh, Jimmy Hopps, a lot, a lot of different musicians, then I started building instruments. And the first instrument I built was Nashimba. An shimba. And was named by uh, an artist who lived across the street from, from Canal Street named Lonnie Young. He said, it's an Ashton marimba, an shimba, So that the materials from that instrument came from, a, it was a bundle of wood that I found on a corner of Green Street and Canal. And uh, that was the first instrument. That's 1974. After I built that instrument, I built a harp. I built a, um, a zither. I built lots of different instruments, you know. And um, Jimmy Hobbs, a drummer who was, who was playing with Stanley Cowell and Cecil McBee and, and also Farrell Sanders, lived with us. And he said, this is in August 1974, he said, bring all the instruments over to Green Street. And there was a recording studio there. And when I got there, he had all the some of the best musicians in new york and he handed out the instruments to all these musicians the best jazz players you know and they all played and we recorded when i got back to the apartment i said what was that he said that was your session i said well who's gonna pay for it i don't have any money so he got on the phone and he called up roberta flack and roberta had a bunch of hits out back in the 70s and she sent a check and paid for my first session
0: Let's talk about collaborations. What have you been working on in the last year or so?
1: Well, I have some ongoing collaborations with people. I'm working with uh, Stephen Gauchi. Gauchi is a tenor player, and we've been doing a lot of stuff in New York, about three recordings and concerts. Uh, That's tenor and piano. Sometimes I play the instruments. I've been working with uh, William Parker for 30 years, you know, 35 years, and we met in 1973. Three for the first time you know down in the East Village so I play in a number of his different groups I'm working with um, a trio that I lead called uh, Digital Primitives that's with Chad Taylor on drums and I play all my different instruments and then there's um, Asif Sahar who's from Tel Aviv who does all the bookings and does the business and he plays tenor and bass clarinet and then uh, there's a new trio that I've been playing with, uh, with uh, Michael T.A. Thompson on drums, and Ken Filiano on, on bass, and that's a piano trio. Then there's uh, Black Host, that's uh, Gerald Cleaver's band, so that's um, that's a wonderful band. Everybody in that band is a leader: Pascal, Nighin Kemper. There's uh, Brandon Seabrook. There's Gerald, of course, and there's uh, myself playing piano and. Darius Jones on Alto. And the, n- the newest person that, that I've been playing with and that we are, have concerts set up in the future is with Francisco Mella. Well, Francisco spent about 10 years playing with uh, McCoy Tyner, and he's been playing with Joe Lovano and Gary Bartz, but he wants to play free. So we've been uh, rehearsing, and we have uh, a few gigs coming up in the next two or three months.
0: Next, you'll hear a sample of Cooper Moore's multi-instrumental work in the trio Triptych Myth with Tom Abbs and Chad Taylor, recorded at Roulette in March of 2005. does your history with roulette go and what does roulette mean to you?
1: Well, first, roulette has the, is, is the best piano in New York for me. It's the best piano. The Stone has a good piano but roulette has a better piano. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, it, it rings. Uh, I don't know who tunes it. It's voiced real well. It, um, it sings. Uh, when you sit at it, it plays. You don't have to work as hard as, as you have to work on some other pianos. But I go back with Roulette when Roulette was down in Tribeca. And um, I guess the first time I was there was right in mid the mid-90s, uh, two, uh, 1990s. I uh, did uh, a performance and recording with William Parker there. And then I did a recording with uh, Susie Ibarra there. I did a recording with my trio, Triptych Myth, there. And I think oh, then I did recording with Steve Swell there, that had Jamil Moondock playing um, alto, and I think Kevin Norton playing drums, and uh, Butch Butch Morris's brother Wilbur was playing bass. Yeah, and then I played at Rul- the Roulette on Green Street when they moved from from um, Tribeca, and, and then I've played at at the here in, in Brooklyn a number of times. You know, I've done solo, I've done um, my band, I've done with other people. Um, so I don't, I don't know the history of roulette. I just, you know, I just know that the piano, the sound in the room, always was good. And um, never had a problem.
0: Roulette Tapes is a production of Roulette Intermedium. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Our executive producer is David Weinstein, co-producer is Susan James, and this episode of The Roulette Tapes was recorded and edited in the studios of Brick in Brooklyn, New York. You have been listening to The Roulette Tapes, a program of adventurous music and conversation. This series is produced by Roulette Intermedium. You can find thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's archives and news of upcoming events at roulette.org.